2: bringing the light of Christ to start your day.
0: This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio.
3: It's Wednesday, January 12, 2022. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's a joy to be with you once again. A special welcome to our new listeners on WBMD Relevant Radio 750 a.m. Baltimore, which became yesterday the newest owned and operated station broadcasting Relevant Radio. Welcome aboard. You are now part of the family. On Wednesdays, we remember St. Joseph. Go to Joseph and ask for his intercession in your everyday life. We start uh, each hour giving thanks to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And here on Morning Air, we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning whenever we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our power scriptures we do every day from the playbook of life is from Colossians 3.17. The Apostle St. Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. St. Paul reminds us that it doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, doctor, a mother, or even a a world-class athlete. Whatever you do, if you do it for Jesus, if you do it for the Lord, for his glory, you're on the right track. Remember to keep your work in the proper perspective. God first, your family second, and then your vocation or profession third. You can sanctify whatever you do. You can sanctify your work. You can make your work have spiritual meaning if you do it for the Lord. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, it's hard to believe that we're already 12 days into the new year. You probably started this new year with some resolutions like eating healthier, working out a little bit more often, and dedicating some time to daily prayer. Our first guest has mastered at least two of these first uh, two resolutions uh, and is here to share some practical advice. Joining us now is world-class athlete and coach Rebecca Dussault to talk about making good decisions when it comes to the Three F's in your life, fitness, faith, and food. Rebecca is a former American cross-country skier, born and raised in Gunnison, Colorado. She's a world champion who participated in the 2006 Winter Olympics, the 2010 world champion in the winter triathlon. Rebecca also started FitCatholicMom.com to help heal Catholic families starting with moms. She's a wife and a mother of six children. Good morning, Rebecca. Welcome to Morning Air. Great to be with you uh, this uh, morning.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me, and good morning. Yep, it's uh, cold and crisp here, so <laughs> feels like a, yeah, good winter morning. So love at- that we're talking about skiing at some level.
0: <laughs> Rebecca,
3: tell me, what inspired you? What motivated you to uh, start FitCatholicMom.com?
2: You bet. Yeah, just... Sport has been the gift that God has really blessed me with, and it's been my vehicle for really spreading the gospel through it. And I do believe that it gives us such a unique chance to glorify God with this flesh that we otherwise would just tow around and (laughs) loathe at times. So it's it's beautiful just to be able to work within the flesh to, to bring that glory to God through family life, through fitness. Um as a coach, I certainly help other women to begin to do that. And I lean heavily upon my experience as an athlete, many decades as an elite um, endurance athlete, traveling the world, racing in many different sports, uh, four seasons a year, and uh, certainly now teaching my children as well to try to follow some of those footsteps. Uh, but it's just its a beautiful way to, to answer that calling. You know, we each have our unique way that god is going to use us to bring the gospel to light in this crazy world and for me it's sport so i every day is such a, a gift and i get to use what he gave me first i get to give back in lots of ways
3: rebecca tell me what inspired you what motivated you to uh start fit catholic com?
2: yeah really <laughs> that's a great question fit catholic mom is born of certainly My discovery that as I live my lifestyle, and I really build daily the pillars of faith, fitness, and food as those things which hold me up so that I can bear the weight of life, I realized, you know, if I've got this lifestyle drilled down, I may as well teach it to other women because it's such, it's kind of the lost art of really thriving in your vocation. And I just don't feel like many know quite what to do with their with their bodies anymore. Uh, there's such mixed messages. Is it is it vain if you work out? Uh, should you set aside time to be alone and make sure the kids are tended to? I mean, it, there's a lot of mixed messages. And so just clearing all of that up, really in sort of a theology of the body and understanding what is this flesh made for? How do we walk that paradox of uh, things like I've come to give them life and give it, give it in abundance? What does that look like? And then, you know, mix that in with, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and really try to figure out where is that fine line, and I call it holy tension. Where is your holy tension? How do you get things into that sweet spot in life where you're thriving? You're not doing things to excess, and you're also not living in a place of depravity, and so we have to do that in certainly those areas of faith, of fitness, and food, uh, just to name kind of the primary ones, so it's just a It's kind of a study in our human tendencies and what we're apt to do. And it's, you know, we cater to our lower nature so often. I don't really, and we don't really know how to discipline the the flesh and get the most out of this temporal life. So it's just um, retraining kind of an integration of the body and the soul so that we're, we're together more whole and more holy.
3: I'm so glad you brought up uh, the word discipline, because as a world-class athlete, you know obviously firsthand uh, the importance of discipline. Can you talk about why it's so important uh, as we talk about these three aspects uh, of faith, fitness, uh, and food?
2: Yeah, it it really is important to be disciplined. I believe that for us to be disciples, we have got to live out a discipline. Uh, For us, for most of us, we are laity. And we still need a rule of life. We need a way of living that produces fruit, that has the rhythms of work and prayer, of rest and and play. Uh, It just brings life to the body and to the souls who do that. So, you know, discipline is an interesting thing. (laughs) The book of Sirach says discipline means just that discipline, and not many are able to discipline themselves. I feel like if we look to the monastics, we know they answer to an authority. They have that obedience, that vow of obedience. Uh, When we take off into our vocations as lay people, we don't necessarily have or we don't identify that we have anything that we are obedient to uh, in this life outside of Christ. But Christ has a huge call on us for how to steward the flesh and the mind and the soul. So I think really putting a, a framework to that for each family is vital. And it's not going to necessarily look the same. Uh, some families live in Florida. Some live in Alaska. <laughs> some have one kid. Some have 12. Whatever it is. But drilling that down to be unique so that our discipline is bearing fruit in, in our lives, in our vocations. So that every day we're saying, you know, what, I have the means of my sanctification in the here and the now. And uh, a lot of that is stepping into your yes with your flesh, which so few do really well. And um, it holds us back. If we think we're just going to progress with our souls and we're going to be prayerful and we're going to comprehend truth and seek to live it and strive, if the flesh does not follow suit, if it does not aim in that same trajectory, it's going to constantly pull us in the other direction. And so we have to, there's a lot of, uh, I, I would say, timeless wisdom in this arena but we need to dust it off for the new church. We need to dust it off for those of us who are in this day and age who don't want to be in the cult of the body who also know that doing nothing for the body doesn't work. And so it's a time for education, for a new evangelization of the people for how to, how to live in the flesh as Catholics and thrive. So it's a fun, it's fun work. I have to say, I, it doesn't feel like work because it's so fun to uncover this truth for people and watch them light up and get their lives back. And so that discipline is absolutely at the root of it. And it doesn't mean it's crazy. You're talking to a coach who drinks some coffee, who loves bacon, bacon, who thinks pastries are amazing. I love it. It's not it. all about, <laughs> like, let's be real. And I always say that to my clients. You know, the church knows the human condition. It knows that we need the fast. It knows that we need the feast. She knows, I should say, that we need the fast and the feast. And she always is going to give us the fast first. That's where we learn the discipline, that's where we enter deeper into ourselves, knowing ourselves and being known by God, and then we can, fa- we can feast with such greater joy, more full delight, but also with responsibility, not undoing our health just because we're feasting. So it's, um, it's bringing those realities together, the fast and the feast of our life.
3: We're joined this morning by Rebecca DeSalt, former U.S. uh, Olympian and world champion, and today a coach. And Rebecca, uh, the the church has had a long history uh, of uh, sharing the importance of exercise uh, over the centuries. Many saints have talked about the value of physical exercise. Can you talk about some of the benefits of of working out uh, for our life? After all, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit.
2: It sure is, and I always say, show me a woman who doesn't work out, and I'll show you a woman in a really, a really bad state in life. Uh, we need to realize the gift that the body is, and when the body gets going and it's pumping blood and it's oxygen, oxygen oxygenating. I mean, um, and it's dealing with its toxic overload and it's getting its stresses going, and it's, you're out in your environment. There's so much that happens. Unfortunately, we, we who in this modern era use gyms and that sort of thing. Think that we got to go, you know, punch in and get our personal sweat session, and that that's it's no more than that. But really, exercise for a human person deals with anxiety, it deals with stress, it deals with sleep, it deals with diet, it deals with health and strength and stamina. All of these things in the life of a healthy and mature Christian are going to allow us to serve, right? The servant of all is the greatest of all. We stop serving though, and we're running on fumes. When we're anxious and depressed, when we're stressed, all of these things shut us down. They extremely dull the greatness that God knows is within each of us, that he has actually programmed us for. But We forget, we get so far from those factory settings of greatness by just cramming more unhealthy food in our life, more unhealthy substances, more pleasure, more entertainment, more sedentary, acti- sedentary activity. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Lack of activity, uh, just becoming more and more sedentary. And it just shuts the human brilliance down, it shuts our unique greatness down. So this is something we, we've we got to uncover. The saints definitely are victorious athletes of the spirit. So many of them have spoken with eloquence, uh, not the least of which is Pope St. John Paul the Great. Uh, Some of the things he has to say to athletes are just mind-blowing and beautiful, and they really call us to step into this space. And I, I don't want this to sound too lofty for anyone, because really for all of your listeners, for myself included, sometimes this is as simple as taking your rosary. You're already praying a daily rosary, but if you're not exercising, start doing a daily walking rosary. Just take your rosary out and walk. Walk through your neighborhood. Consecrate your neighborhood. Consecrate the countryside, wherever you're walking. But just 20 more minutes of walking a day, coupled with the most beautiful prayer, one of the most beautiful prayers the church has, that alone can begin to shift your health habits. So we don't want this to be like, oh, you got to get a gym membership. You got to be a runner. You got to race. You've got, no, let's like bring it down to the very foundation. So it's, it's very attainable.
3: Absolutely, and everybody has a different taste uh, for different ways to, to work out, so uh, there's there's something for everybody. Uh, what can we do to, to conquer ourselves and, and get started, especially uh, some folks, some moms that maybe haven't worked out in a while? How do you get the, the motivation to get going, to start off?
2: Hmm. Well, first, let's stop believing the lies. Some people hold themselves back so profusely, thinking, well, genetics – Uh, play a part in this this is all I can ever be I can only be overweight my family's overweight my family has disease you know what genetics are going to uh, load the gun but our lifestyle pulls the trigger we have so much authority over how our flesh turns out in this life and it directly has to do with especially how we're eating because we will feel the way that we fuel. If we're fueling well with vital nutrients and things, our body will feel that vitality. So first, dietarily, we've got to clean it up. We are so dependent on uh, just poor foods, nutritionally depleted foods. Yeah, we're calling them foods. I can scarcely call them foods. So really getting into a more nutrient-dense diet, a very plant-heavy diet, really cleansing our bodies with fruits. These are things that we can do, thinking of A simple pragmatic thing is when you're desiring to snack, snack on fruit. Fruit is great to eat alone. It's highly digestible, and it goes through like a cleaner through the body. So just really dependent on fruit as much as we can. Eating a a diet rich in vegetables. I do not mean canned vegetables. I do not mean commercially grown vegetables. The more we can get into an organic diet, the more we're going to get away from toxic sprays like glyphosate, which is all over our veggies. And it makes us sick in our gut. And when your gut is sick, your immunity is compromised. Your hormones, like serotonin, happy hormone, that's compromised. Uh, your gut-brain connection starts shorting out. You know, you don't have that clarity and that mental acuity to do your best in this life. So we're really sick in our, we're diseased in our gut tissues. That's for sure. So definitely <laughs> cleaning up the diet and getting off of things that are addictive. If you're on things that are addictive, be it sugar be it caffeine, be it alcohol, these things are an addiction. They do become a god. Let's just say it the way it is. And I think using strong language helps, too. Uh, my sugar canister growing up, my mom wrote in Sharpie marker, white death. <laughs> she wanted us to know if you're going to get sugar out of that canister, you're actually eating white death. Uh, that, you know, of course, imprinted something in my mind about what that was. We start, we start to use strong language with ourselves. that hey, if I depend on this substance, it becomes a god for me, and I have to get it back into its right place in my life where it's not a dependency. I'm at the level of fitness, start with where you're at. There is no reason you can't start today, even if you have a bum knee. You know how many ways there are to lay on the floor and get a workout? Thousands of ways. Um, if you haven't done it a while and you're overweight and things hurt, you know, you could start in a pool. You could aqua jog. You can uh, you can learn to cross-country ski this time of year as opposed to run and pound on the joints. There are so many ways. And I think all of us are surrounded by people who are more fit than us. Get a hold of your fit friends and get going. Get some accountability in your life.
3: Well, Rebecca, you've just uh, scratched the surface. There's so much more that I wish we had the time to, to talk with you about. We'll have to get you back on and, and dive a little bit more uh, in, in depth because there, there's so much that you can share with our listeners about uh, growing in, in our uh, spiritual life as well as taking care of our body. So I so much appreciate it. Uh, where can our listeners learn more about your ministry? Yeah,
2: thanks for asking, certainly at fitcatholicmom.com and on Instagram and Facebook at fitcatholicmom, Mom, and I would love to connect with any of them and keep those resolutions strong and keep those lifestyles strong so we're not diseased, but we're holy and we're whole. Let's do this. Come on, Catholics.
3: Thanks so much for the inspiration and the motivation. Thank you, Rebecca. Rebecca Dussault, American 2006 winner, Olympics cross-country skier, a world champion, and the founder of fitcatholicmom.com. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerono, will have the latest news on the Holy Father from the Vatican. Stay with us. There's much more to come on this edition of Morning Air. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com Forester.
0: Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
3: You gotta love it. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. And as you can tell, now it's time to bring Rome to home, as we do every Wednesday at this uh, time for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live this morning to the Eternal City, and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. And of course, you can read much more about them at johnandashley.org. Good morning. Buongiorno, Ashley. Belated Happy New Year's. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to be with you once again from Roma.
1: Well, thank you so much, John. Buongiorno to you. Buon anno to you. Happy New Year. It's, It's wonderful to finally get the chance to chat with you in the new year.
3: Absolutely. Well, uh, we always uh, begin uh, with the Holy Father. What was the focus of Pope Francis and today's Wednesday audience uh, in the Vatican's Paul VI Hall?
1: Well, John, in in his public audience today, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on St. Joseph, and today specifically focusing on work and the importance of work as a way to grow in sanctity. He spoke about a dignity that is attached to labor. And that dignity is essential for human development because work is a place that one can express him or herself, can make a contribution. And Pope Francis pointed out that Jesus himself worked and learned his trade from his father, St. Joseph. And so today, Pope Francis examined how the evangelists, how Matthew and Mark, refer to St. Joseph as a carpenter. But it comes from the Greek term tekton, which is more of a generic term. And it referred to anyone who worked with wood as a craftsman or in construction. And the Pope pointed out that carpentry was indeed a demanding job. It required strength and endurance, but it did not generate a lot of earnings. So with that in mind the pope then uh, brought to mind workers today especially those who do what he called grueling work and also many social justice issues that are attached to the workplace he spoke about workers who are exploited he spoke about children who are forced to work or people who as their work rummage amongst the trash just looking for something useful to trade and he said that we should also remember uh, people who are out of a job and who suffer as a result of that. He called to mind families who are struggling to survive because of that. And he brought to mind the many people who have lost their jobs because of COVID during this situation and lockdown situation. And he, he brought up that some sadly have taken their own lives as a result. So he specifically asked to remember and pray for each one of them and their families today. And then he invited all the faithful to ask themselves some important questions. The questions were, what spirit do I carry out my daily work? And how does my work relate to others, but most importantly, to my eternal life? And then, John, to to conclude today, the Pope invited everyone to recite a prayer. It was a prayer that Pope St. Paul VI actually prayed to St. Joseph on the 1st of May of 1969. And if it sounds good to you, then uh, I invite us all to pray together now.
3: Absolutely, Ashley, for sure.
1: Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, amen. Amen. O St. Joseph, patron of the church, you who side by side with the Word made flesh worked each day to earn your bread, drawing from him the strength to live and to toil, you who experience the anxiety for the morrow, the bitterness of poverty, the uncertainty of work, you who today give the shining example, humble in the eyes of men, but most exalted in the sight of God, protect workers in their hard daily lives, defending them from discouragement, from negative revolt, and from pleasure-loving temptations. And keep peace in the world, that peace which alone can ensure the development of of peoples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In
3: the name of
1: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.
3: Beautiful prayer. Uh, and it's, uh, it's so timely. Uh, on Wednesdays, traditionally, uh, we remember uh, to pray to St. Joseph, to go to Joseph, something I try to do oh, every yeah. single Wednesday, remind the folks, uh, especially last year in the year of St. Joseph. Um, the Holy Father obviously uh, has a heart for all the people that have been going through such a tough time, especially all the workers uh, during the pandemic. What's going on with the pandemic uh, there in Rome, the Vatican, and Italy in general?
1: Yes. Well, Italy has actually changed its rules right now, where they are requiring a super green pass to access almost everything. So this means that uh, one is required to show a proof of vaccination as well as boosters. And that means it's to the point to ride a bus to go into a theater. Uh, as of February 1st, it'll be, um, you will have to have a negative test to go into a bank, for example. So it, it's really become very stringent here. Um, the cases are about, they're saying about 100,000 of Omicron a day. Uh, of course, they they have very, um, the hospitalizations are much lower than in the past because of the nature of this variant. So uh, so we shall see what the future will hold.
3: Does it seem uh, like an overreaction? What? How are the people <laughs> reacting uh, there in Italy? Uh, there's got to be people who are not ha- too happy about all these uh,
0: restrictions.
1: Right. Yeah, and it, it's funny, John, because it even requires wearing a mask outdoors. So that wow. means being far away from somebody, one would still technically be required to wear a mask. Um, so as far as the reaction that you asked, oh, it's it's I it's really all over the board. It's absolutely all over the board. You know, people are citing uh, data that is coming from Europe, from abroad, uh, state, c- citing studies like from England that has now said that their vaccine campaign has proven uh, negative effectiveness, that Germany has said that 95.58% percent of their cases in the hospital are fully vaxxed they're, they're pointing these things out and saying you know what is what is happening here how much is too much um, remember the Italians are very passionate <laughs> they're very passionate about everything they do and so that means I think that people are um which wherever they're coming from in this issue they they are are Doing it with lots of Italian vigor.
3: <laughs> I totally can relate. Uh, yes. this reporter and my family uh, was down for the count last week uh, with with COVID, with the Omicron uh, variant. And uh, thanks be to God, we're fully recovered. Uh, it was really like a bad cold, a nasty cold yeah. with, with some yeah. you know aches and pains, but uh, but nothing like uh, the original. Ah, uh, COVID nineteen, right. uh, the right. the alpha variant. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, we're just grateful to, that we're over it. Uh, but but obviously this yeah. is this is in play, uh, not only in Italy but obviously here in the United States and all over the world. Uh, I'd love to get your your take on a story that really caught my attention. I found it absolutely amazing. Uh, an Italian bishop is forbidding unvaccinated priests, deacons, religious, and even lay people from distributing communion. What in the world is going on?
1: Right. This comes from a letter that uh, Bishop Giacomo Cerulli issued just a few days ago on the 8th of January. And he comes from the Southern Italian Diocese of Teano Calvi, which is in Campania, which is not far from where Naples is located. And uh, indeed, in this letter, he says that everyone should be vaccinated, he cited Pope Francis that getting vaccinated is an act of love. He cited the Italian prime minister, Mario Draghi, who says that all COVID problems initially are coming from the unvaccinated. So he, in addition to all this, he suspended all in-person, pastoral, catechetical, formative activities in his diocese. But as you can imagine, John, there has been a lot of pushback. Okay, Interestingly. Without a
0: doubt, my goodness.
1: Right, right. So from people all over the spectrum, so lapsed Catholics as well are jumping in on this because they see all kinds of violations of, of, of freedom uh, of conscience, but also they're citing some of the data that I, I mentioned before, they're citing that, for example, Germany has uh, released its data that they say the vaccinated are, are about 21 times more susceptible to contract and transmit the virus than not. That Israel has has is giving up its vaccination campaign because they're citing ineffectiveness. So the pushback is saying that this decree from the bishop is not within the competency of any Italian bishop. It doesn't follow the medical data that's coming about Omicron, specifically about the variant. And that the debate should be left to the medical community in an unrestrictive, in an open manner. Uh, And so with that said, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We're going to watch both sides continue to uh, battle it out. And as we say in Italy, vediamo. Let's see.
3: (laughs) Uh, Stay tuned for much more. Uh, Now, on a positive note, uh, uh, after uh, this uh, COVID break, the tradition of baptizing uh, babies uh, of Vatican employees at the Sistine Chapel uh, has returned.
1: Yes. It's such a lovely tradition. So this was started actually by Pope St. John Paul II back in 1981. And on the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, uh, the tradition was started to baptize these little babies of Vatican employees and it had been cancelled, of course, because of the the situation that was going on with COVID. But now, just a few days ago, it was able to happen again, and 16 babies were baptized right there in the Sistine Chapel. And uh, so it. Seven boys, nine girls. The Pope spoke about how important that day is because it's the day that the children get their Christian identity. And so he called on parents and godparents to help them grow in that light of Christ that the kids are receiving. He also said, hey, don't worry if the babies cry out. He said, let them cry. He called their cries an orchestra because of the spirit of community there, John. So glad to see that that special Vatican tradition is happening.
3: Ashley, real briefly, uh, the the Christmas season uh, is over here in the U.S. We're in ordinary time, but not in everywhere else in the world. Uh, Christmas continues there in Italy. What's going on?
1: right exactly so here we we traditionally celebrate through the 2nd of february and right up into the feast of the presentation so imagine that one special way to celebrate is that when you happen to be walking down the street and he, overhear the sounds of the zampognari. so this is a common central and southern italy tradition and these are um, these are, are uh, shepherds traditionally who they play these these sheepskin instruments that are kind of like bagpipes. They wear these big woolen cloaks. They play traditional music and hymns, uh, including uh, the much-loved Italian Christmas carols. And they walk through the streets reminding everybody, of course, that Christ is born, that the celebration continues, that we should never let the, the light of Christ die in our hearts. And John, I have to tell you, I think that if Glenn is looking for a job in Italy, I'm thinking this could be right up his alley.
0: There you go.
3: That sounds great. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. Ashley, we're going to have to leave it right there. Uh, Merry Christmas to all the folks in Italy who continue to celebrate uh, this season. And thanks so much to you uh, for always uh, bringing Rome to home to our audience.
1: Well, it is always a delight. God bless you. So glad you're in good health. Happy New Year.
3: Happy New Year. Thanks so much. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Catholic attorney Andrea Picciotti-Bayer will be with us from Washington, D.C. to talk about religious freedom during the pandemic. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air.
1: Get connected to the
4: conversation. Call us now, 888-914-9149.
0: That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales.
4: On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
3: And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance, Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning. Once again, if you want to be part of the program, 888 914 9149. Now, so many of us across our nation are just tired of this pandemic. COVID 19 has tested us all in every country of the world and people from all religions. Religious freedom is in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press. And therefore, the protection of the right to worship is really important and foundational to our nation. Joining us now with a legal and Catholic perspective on religious liberty during this pandemic is Andrea Pichardi Bayer. Andrea is a Stanford-educated lawyer who has dedicated her legal career to civil rights and appellate advocacy. She's also the director of the Conscious Project and a mother of 10 children. Good morning, Andrea. Welcome back to Morning Air. Great to be with you once again for the first time here in the new year.
4: No, it's amazing. We're already in 2022. My goodness, John. Time just
3: flying by for sure. Uh, Andrea, I'd love to get your take. Uh, How would you describe uh, how we're doing in terms of religious freedom uh, during this pandemic that uh, incredibly is now going on two years?
4: That's a great question. I think we're getting there. We're getting there. In the very beginning of the pandemic, everyone can remember that there were a lot of restrictions that were being imposed across the country by by governors um, in order to control what we didn't know about the coronavirus. And one of the kind of oversteps that a couple of governors made was to target worship, to target that important right to worship by putting restrictions on attendance, church attendance, temple attendance, attendance at a mosque, different and more severe and egregious than going to a big box store or the grocery store, or in the case of Nevada, a casino. Now, those initial rulings were upheld for a while, um, despite emergency requests for the Supreme Court to have a look at them. But eventually the Supreme Court did say, even in the times of a pandemic, the constitution cannot be put away. So those those restrictions were struck down. Now we're in a new wave, right? We're facing a new variant of the, the coronavirus and we're looking at issues of mandates, vaccine mandates in particular are the hot, hot button issue. Um, and there are a couple of outlier states again um, that have vaccine mandates for healthcare workers that don't allow for religious exemptions or accommodations.
3: Yeah, it's really unbelievable. I think we we have come a long way. Uh, I still remember those days uh, when literally you had to be seated in church. uh, uh, In some places, it was like a a maitre d' taking you to your pew. Uh, There there were so much fear. There were so many restrictions. Uh, In fact, that's if you could even get into the church because you had to sign up. So uh, we have come a long way, but uh, uh, there's still some issues uh, uh, to keep in mind. Um, There was a, a report not too long ago by the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, uh, and, and their research showed that the majority of Americans think that worship and funerals at houses of worship should be considered essential activities in the pandemic. The fact that they weren't for a while was truly unbelievable.
4: You know, you're right, and Beckett does a wonderful job of kind of pulling back and taking a big picture view of things. We can get in in, in this very hot, high, hot time of crisis, kind of very narrowly focused, but we know that um Faith has carried us through difficulties as individuals and as a country, and especially issues of being able to gather together and worship or to mourn And when we lose our loved ones. Now, some of these restrictions were self-imposed, and I'm not going to blame any of our church leaders for saying, you know, we're going to limit the number of people in attendance or we're going to have sign-ups. They definitely were dealing with um, a situation where we didn't know much, and they want to take care of not only souls, but of their congregation. Now we've learned a lot about how to deal with this pandemic safely, what measures can be taken, and how critical it is that we keep open this connection that people have, this relationship that they have, both with God and with a community of believers.
3: Absolutely, and uh, we, we have to uh, be grateful uh, for uh, the religious freedoms that we do have here in this country because it's not like that everywhere else. Uh, we're seeing just unbelievable lockdowns going on in places like Australia, uh, in Europe. In fact, we just talked about uh, with uh, Ashley dorona from Rome uh, about a, a, a bishop that's prohibiting priests and religious and lay people from distributing Holy Communion, all because of the Omicron variant, which is not as dangerous as the original.
4: Yeah. No, it's, it's very difficult. And I remember back in in early spring of 2020, when, when in my parish, we weren't able to attend Mass. Shortly thereafter, we ended up having, you know, communion services after Mass, so people were lining up outside. Um... While there is incredible power in spiritual communion, there is nothing like being able to receive communion, being able to be there adoring God in Mass. It's a very troubling um, kind of resurgence, like you said, of restrictions and of concern. I'm hoping that 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 bishop is an outlier, um, that that the rest of us can learn. For example, from um, the Dominicans at the Thomistic House of Studies, Put together a great resource for bishops, for local parish priests, on how to administer the sacraments safely during these very difficult times of the pandemic. And I would encourage all listeners, whether you're clergy or members, look at that and and see the steps that they've they put together. It was not only um, from the perspective of kind of the faith but they brought in infectious disease specialists people at the top of their game in understanding the pandemic and they've been revising it accordingly
3: Absolutely let's talk about some of these vaccine mandates uh, among uh, healthcare workers uh, how, how do you think our country is doing when it comes to uh, vaccines and religious exemptions
4: You know in general in general um, we've always had a history of allowing for religious exemptions from vaccines. We know that there are a lot of people who have um, objections based on their religion to receiving just general vaccines. And um, and I know uh, here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, there are vaccine mandates for students and you can choose, you know, you can say, no, I'm not going to vaccinate my child based on a religious um, concern or objection. In general, the vaccine mandate up for for. Healthcare workers across the country allows for medical and religious exemptions, and they need—you know—the religious exemptions need to be sincere. We can't just claim a religious exemption if our objection is a political one. Um, but there are three states, um, New York and Maine in particular, have been kind of incredibly intolerant and don't allow for medical exemptions or accommodations for healthcare workers. Those two states, there's some legal battles going on there. The Supreme Court um, early in the fall, in, in October, and then again in, in December towards the, as we entered into winter, said they weren't going to step in on an emergency basis. But the cases are being um, reviewed in the courts because, again, these are our, our frontline workers, right, who have been in it since the beginning. Um, we shouldn't ask them to choose between their conscience and their job if we can make an accommodation that keeps them safe and their patients safe along the way.
3: Andrea, do you think that the the, the latest information uh, that we have, the, the scientific information about the, the reality that the, 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 the original vaccine uh, that so many people have taken and, and the, the boosters are just not effective uh, against Omicron. Do you think that that might be in play? Because obviously, uh, it's, it, it, Omicron is cutting right through it. So how, how can it be reasonable and logical to, to force people to get a, a vaccine that's not even working for the latest variant?
4: You make a really, really good point. And I was thinking about that um, just in preparing for our conversation. In general, when you are going to, um, when the government is going to burden religious exercise and religious belief, it needs to have a compelling reason to do so if they allow for other exemptions. So in the case of, New York and in Maine, they allow for exemptions based on you know, medical objections. So in order to not allow for a religious one, there needs to be a compelling reason. You're right that that reason seems to be diminishing based on our understanding of the vaccination and this new variant. But interestingly enough, the current governor of New York just said she wants to impose a booster mandate. For healthcare workers in that state, in light of Omicron, so you know, incredible. It like, not following yeah. the
3: science—it's <laughs> maddening, Andrea.
4: Well, and you know, again, our judges aren't public health officials; they're not medical professionals. And the Supreme Court, when they were ruling on the worship cases, the worship targeting cases, they said that flat out. But at the same time, the burden is on the government. We're not in a position where. The individual needs to prove their right to religious freedom. It's it's flipped. The government needs to prove that making an exemption, allowing for an accommodation. You know, and again, I want to say, just because somebody is exempt from a vaccine doesn't mean that they shouldn't take proper measures, whether it's testing or wearing personal protective gear, whatever, because that's what healthcare workers do. Um, but the the Supreme Court said. Look, we are not healthcare officials, but we are defenders of the
3: Constitution.
4: And we know that our founders set up a system basically to guard against government overreach.
3: And obviously, uh, we're all waiting to see how the Supreme Court rules on the two cases, especially the one uh, involving a potential 100 million uh, people uh, in businesses of 100 employees or more. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, what the court decides.
4: Absolutely. Now, those federal mandates do allow for religious exemptions or accommodations. Having said that, whether in practice they're being granted is a big question, And the other thing is it's a good reminder that our federal agencies only have authority granted unto them by Congress. And so when they go beyond the bounds of that authority, it's really the job of of our judiciary to step in and say, whoa, 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 wait a second.
0: These cases uh,
3: in uh, Maine and New York – are there similar situations uh, in, in other states? In other words, what happens in Maine and New York, how is that, do you think it's going to affect uh, the, all the other states in the country?
4: You know, Like I mentioned earlier, John, Maine and New York are outliers when it comes to not allowing for religious exemptions from these vaccine mandates for healthcare workers. But when we're dealing with um, court decisions and opinions, especially when they rise to the level of the Supreme Court or appellate courts in the region that those courts um, have jurisdiction, they they develop what's called precedent. And that precedent means that there's a, a rule that applies to similar cases. And so it's really important that we get this right when it comes to kind of reaffirming the constitutional principles of not requiring people to act against their conscience especially when it comes to choosing between their livelihood um, or their conscience. And so while it may not be an exact fit because there isn't a controversy in Iowa um, with a, a lack of religious um, accommodations because that is provided for, it will set a standard that could apply to other other laws, especially other laws as we kind of continue to work through this pandemic.
3: Andrea, there's uh, obviously a, a lot of parents uh, very concerned uh, uh, during this pandemic. Uh, how do we uh, draw the line? Where do we draw the line between health, uh, science, and our faith?
4: You know, I think first we really need to be people of prayer, right? At any time that I've lost kind of my commitment to daily mass and prayer, I'm a hot mess. As a mom. And I remember very early on in the pandemic, a friend dropping off groceries said, in response to my you know gratitude, our kids are going to see how we face this. So we really need to be stable people of prayer. We need to be um, convinced of the truth. We know need to know that God's in charge. Even when things seem so difficult, and we need to help and support one another, and be be the charitable people that are, we're called to be in, within our church and within our neighborhoods.
3: Absolutely. Where can our listeners go to uh, to learn more about your work with the Conscious uh, Project? You've got some fabulous uh, stories that you've written uh, about religious freedom recently.
4: Well, thank you so much. You can look uh, at information that we've written um, at the Conscience. Project, and it's spelled conscience-project.org.
3: Excellent. Uh, Conscience-project.org. Andrea, as always, thanks so much for being with us and giving us a true Catholic and legal perspective uh, on this issue of religious freedom, which is so important for all of us.
4: Well, thanks for having me on, and have a great morning.
3: Many blessings to you. Catholic attorney Andrea Pichotti-Bayer, the director of The Conscious Project. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner.
0: Well, I thought I'd warm us all up a little bit here in the heart of a very cold winter week with a baseball story or a story today called The Best Trade in Baseball. It's from Time Incorporated. Penny Brown and Kevin Steffen both owe their lives to the other. Kevin was an 11-year-old bat boy in July of 1999 when a player accidentally dealt him a severe blow to the chest with a bat while warming up. Kevin passed out and his heart stopped beating. Penny, a nurse, was at the game to watch her son play when she saw this transpire. She rushed down to Kevin and performed CPR, which brought him back. Kevin's mother said it was very fortunate because Penny was scheduled to work that day and had been given the day off at the last minute. Now fast forward seven years, Penny Brown's eating at a restaurant in Depew, New York when she begins to choke on her food and cannot breathe. Kevin worked as a dishwasher in that restaurant and was immediately called to help Penny because he was a volunteer firefighter. Kevin performed the Heimlich maneuver and dislodged the food that was suffocating Penny. After saving her life, he realized that she was the lady that saved his life seven years earlier. And he summed it up by saying, This is an experience neither of us will ever forget. Matthew 10.8 Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Thanks
3: so much, Glenn. I love the baseball story. Normally spring training starts in about a month, uh, but we have a lockout going on. Coming up in the next hour, our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, will join us to talk about hope in these times of crisis. Plus, Professor Harry Kramer will be with us to discuss taking the time to live in the present and being truly present as opposed to constantly looking backwards and forwards. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air next hour on Red. Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.